Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's July 27th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined from Spain, the editor-in-chief of the Weekly Standard, Stephen Hayes. How are you? It, it would be night where you are, right? Hola. Yeah, we're heading into the evening right now, although the sun doesn't set in in Madrid. We're here in Madrid, and the sun doesn't set in, in Madrid these days until like 9.45 or something, so... It'll be light out for several more hours. So it's not like you're you're missing anything. It's not like there's a lot of things going on in in the <laughs> news. <laughs> just, just I want to talk about what the hell you're doing in Spain in a moment. But it is it a different perspective being out of the country, watching our news cycle, at least in with 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 the time shift you have. Yeah, I th- I think it is. I mean, um, we had our cable. We we found a, a place. We're going to be here for one year. We had our cable installed the other day, and uh, much to my chagrin, I was able to get all of the cable channels that we get in the United States. Um, so if I wanted to, to check in, I can I can see it all. Um, but I think being away now, we've been here for about two weeks, and I've been following it much more. Sort of reading the newspapers. Um, following print journalism a lot more closely, uh, less time, slightly less time on social media. And I think you're forced to take a sort of a bigger picture perspective, a, a what does this all mean perspective, which I, I'm enjoying. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting to get out of this minute by minute rat-a-tat-tat uh, pace of, of the news that we've lived, I've lived for the past several years. Um, so I like that perspective. It's been healthy, I think. Okay, so last week was was Russia week. This week is have we have we named this week yet? It's it 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 is Friday. So give, give me your takeaway on all of this because you're you're right. A lot of us are caught up in that uh, the Twitter what do we call a micro news cycle where you know it, with every five minutes like this is the big story. Okay, there uh they are subpoenaing the the accountant for Trump. Being, oh wait, no, Michael Cohen is now flipping over on the Trump Tower meeting and and really it is that moment you step back and you go, okay, where are we exactly? You know, right. so I don't know. You're 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 sitting over there in Europe. Well, it's a good it's a good question, and and I do think you know the big picture perspective here. I mean, there's obviously been a lot of noise and and debating back and forth about the sincerity of Michael Cohen flipping and the president on Twitter accusing Michael Cohen of just wanting to get a better deal, which is not an unfair uh, place for the president to speculate. Michael Cohen is not, uh, I think we would agree, a, a terribly credible witness, having spent a career in effect, lying for Donald Trump. Now he's reasonable to wonder if he's lying against Donald Trump to save himself. Um, So, you know, you have these unseemly characters on all side of this and and you can really get down in the weeds and try to understand what's happening by judging the words, the contemporaneous statements of these people who are known not to tell the truth very often. Or you can look at the big picture. And I think the big picture with this tape that emerged this week on CNN is that Donald Trump did apparently know uh, what Michael Cohen was doing, which I think is something that a lot of us assumed, um, given the the problems that they had keeping their story straight as they spun out this uh, their narrative. But that's not a small thing. Uh, it may not be illegal, as some people have argued, it might not violate campaign finance laws. But you do stop and you take this second look and think, okay, we've got the president of the United States on tape sounding like he's uh, a knowing participant in a scheme to pay off a former porn star with whom he had an affair um, years ago uh, after he had married his 
third wife, uh, paying off this porn star knowingly in cash uh, weeks before the presidential election in which he became the, the leader of the free world. That's a big deal in and of itself. It, it would be. In fact, I was I was thinking about this the other day, that is, is there any other politician at any level of politics whose career would not be destroyed by this story? And yet it's there's kind of a shrug of the shoulders about that substance. I was actually on one of the cable shows and, you know, listening and, you know, they 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 play the tape and I, you know, have the the uh, the, you know, your your plug in and somebody saying, so did he say pay in cash or don't pay in cash? And I'm going, look, I, I really have no idea <laughs> what the word is, but could we have a little bit of perspective about this? The Right, exactly. The, 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 we're confronted with the fact that the, the, the president of the United States clearly lied about this. He's knee deep in the, in, in the sleaze here. Um, he is, was, you know, he has covered up uh, and, and, you know, and again, not, not been truthful. And then of course you just have this, this remarkable uh, story that reminds us about the, you know, what a, you know what, what a bunch of misfit toys the Trump world is with Michael Cohen not just flipping but really aggressively flipping. I have to admit I have a moment of sympathy for Donald Trump being outraged when your personal lawyer tapes you and then releases the tape. I mean this is uh, you know if if we'd had this conversation six months ago I don't think that I would have predicted that uh, that Michael Cohen would be the guy who'd be breaking bad on the president of the United States. So we are in just a whole new uh, chapter of, uh, of, 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 of this saga, not to mention now the, the reports from yesterday that the accountant has been subpoenaed. And look, you know, you, you've seen the mob movies, right, Steve? You know, it's it, it, it's not it's not the mistress. It's not the fixer. It's when they get the accountant. That's right. that's that's the big danger. Well, and people who know Donald Trump's world certainly a lot better than I do have said that he is potentially a key uh, witness as this moves forward or, or would be in a position to to have known a lot of things. Look, on, on Michael Cohen, I mean, I guess I'm not terribly surprised, honestly. I mean, I think he is a deeply, deeply unsavory character. He went on television pretty consistently saying things that he knew to be false. I remember having a, a debate with him uh, sort of at the beginning of this this Trump wave um, where, you know, th this guy had been, I think, had a career as a, as a Democrat to the extent that he was political or had been a Democrat at one time. It certainly wasn't a traditional conservative or a movement conservative. And he was telling Sean Hannity in this debate with me that, that I was the example of sort of liberal media bias and that I was a you know, longtime liberal. And I mean, it was just like the most absurd thing you can possibly imagine someone saying. And he just, it just didn't even phase him to be saying something that either he knew to be untrue or that he didn't know, but didn't really care whether it was true. And I think we saw that pattern with him, uh, you know, when he was talking about things far more important than me and what my, my views are. I mean, he, this is what the guy did. And then of course there are all of those episodes where he is openly and aggressively threatening reporters, not just threatening reporters with, uh, you know, some kind of uh, lawsuit or, or other kinds of retribution, but physical retribution, yeah. um, real threats. I mean, this guy is the thug of all thugs. And it, I have a real hard time feeling sympathetic for, for him in any of this. I think he's getting, in many cases, what he deserves. Right. He's not the victim in this story. He made a series of choices, and, and he made them over a long period of time. It is, of course, ironic hearing Rudy Giuliani last night saying, well, well you know, he's, he's lied his whole life. Well, yeah, but he was the president's personal lawyer 
but that's kind of the you know folks that uh, Trump surrounds himself with. I was and listening Giuliani, like, and Giuliani yeah. himself just months earlier had said he was an honest and trustworthy lawyer representing the president of the United States. I mean, Giuliani himself. I mean, this is of course what what happened as as Jonathan last uh, has laid out so well. Um, you know, you, you get to the point where you're defending your client, you're making these arguments, and your client is Donald Trump, you're making arguments that are self-contradictory. I mean, Rudy Giuliani is now making arguments about Michael Cohen that appear to be directly the opposite of the arguments that he was making about Michael Cohen just a few months ago. I was listening, and I mentioned before we started this, I was listening um, to uh, to a number of the cable uh, commentators last night, and there was a certain giddiness about this story that uh, Michael Cohen was offering this testimony. And and I, and I and I found myself going, whoa, you know, just everybody needs to take a little bit of a deep breath here because this is potentially a very, very big story, but only potentially. You know, number one, you have to decide, as we've been discussing, whether Michael Cohen is, in fact, credible. Uh, number two, whether he can corroborate all of this. And then number three, this big question, if he really wants to cooperate with a special prosecutor, why are is he leaking out this information or why are people close to him? Because that's not the way that prosecutors generally like this to be done. And very clearly, I mean, look, I, Michael Cohen is probably facing a world of legal hurt right now. He may be facing decades in, 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 in prison. He's desperate to cut a deal with a special prosecutor. The only reason the special prosecutor would really make a deal with him is if, if in fact, you know, he can, you know, come up with a proffer of this kind of Russia collusion uh, sort of thing. So um, there are so many reasons to be cautious about yeah. this. But on the other hand, there's no question that, that uh, all of this is is gathering momentum. And, and this all takes place. And this is, you know, hopefully you, <laughs> you realize it's been less than two weeks since Helsinki with the president's the next of Vladimir Putin. Think of all the things that have happened in the last two weeks involving all of these uh, these 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 questions the the indictment of the GRU agents uh, now we have reports that uh, Claire McCaskill has been targeted by Russian Russian trolls so i think it's safe to say that uh, this is ramping up rather than going away yeah it certainly seems to and and look you know as, as first of all i think you're exactly right to to caution people about Michael Cohen as a credible witness. I mean, this is a guy who, as we've been discussing, he's not credible. He's not a credible person. Now, it may turn out that he's telling the truth on, on this particular instance, and he may end up having more tapes. It sounds like he has dozens, uh, potentially more tapes of some kinds of conversations. We don't know exactly what. So he may be able to corroborate some of what he would tell or, or seems to want to tell uh, Bob Mueller or other prosecutors uh, eventually. But in the absence of those tapes, I mean, Michael Cohen is a deeply, uh, a, a deeply incredible, uncredible person. So I don't think, you know, people who want to get Trump, it's unwise to to put a lot of faith in what Michael Cohen is saying just because Michael Cohen is saying something that you want him to say about Donald Trump. Well, this is this is the danger, of course, these days. If you want to believe something too badly, you're likely to believe it even if it's shaky. And, and this happens, obviously, on, on, on both sides. You know, things yes. that I want to believe that this is the smoking gun. I want to believe that this is, the, you know, this is the end. I mean, I... I, I have you know some some views on all of this, but I agree with you that the, the Michael Cohen is is not the that's not the hill that I want to uh, die on. You mentioned Jonathan Last earlier, and of course he came up with that whole that uh, the you know the Trumpism corrupts. And there's been a couple of stories this week that I think have uh, underlined that uh, fantastic piece up on the Weekly Standard right now. 
about uh, how Devin Nunes's uh, conspiracy conspiracy theories have been completely debunked by the release of this FISA memo. It's really really a, a good read. Uh, but y- yesterday, um, Jim Jordan from the Freedom Caucus announces that it was I can't remember what it was all happened yesterday. He announces he's running for speaker, but also he and and uh, about a dozen other conservative members of the House file impeachment uh, articles against Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and Jack Goldsmith, who is a former assistant attorney general and uh, highly re- respected uh, DOJ uh, veteran, wrote a piece that basically said, look, this thing is an embarrassment, is sloppy, it's filled with inaccuracies, it's uh, the chop logic, it is a, you know, a cynical attack on the, on the rule of, of law. And this was just another one of these examples, wasn't it, Steve, of just that how willing people are to utterly be clown themselves in this particular moment. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, look, I've actually had a fair amount of agreement. I've probably been more sympathetic to the the House Freedom Caucus and their efforts to to limit government and restrict spending than than maybe some of our colleagues. Um, and I've had a good relationship with Jim Jordan, talked to Mark Meadows, what have you. But this was really a misstep. I mean, as Jack Goldsmith's piece points out, and I encourage everybody to take the time to go to the website and read this sort of point by point that that Jack's Goldsmith gave us. Uh, you know, it was it was there were basic errors of fact in this thing. This was not a serious legal document. They accused Rod Rosenstein of, uh, in effect, um, covering up the the bias of the FBI going back to October of 2016. Um, Rod Rosenstein wasn't in his position until April of 2017. So there were those kinds of mistakes that suggested a lack of seriousness. And having talked to uh, some other Republicans on Capitol Hill about the motivations here. I mean, this is pretty clearly an effort to shore up goodwill with Donald Trump and probably, I would say, uh, an effort to raise some money. And by doing this and attempting to smear somebody who I think is is in a really difficult position, and as Jack Goldsmith points out, has sort of gone out of his way to to give information to Congress uh, that Congress probably wouldn't be entitled to, given the fact that this is an active in investigation. Um, now, he doesn't do it all the time, and he doesn't do it uh, on everything, um, but I think Rod Rosenstein's in a very tough spot and has, has handled himself pretty well. So... I want to address this larger. Where are we going here? And and what I have in the back of my mind is was just reading an analysis of the polling since uh, the the Helsinki press conference, the sort of notorious Helsinki press conference, that does not seem to have dented uh, President Trump's popularity in any way. Which which uh, reminds us once again that I don't know nothing matters. That that for a lot of the president's supporters, they don't care about this. Going back to our previous conversation, um, I was reading a column in townhall.com. Basically, writer says, look, I don't care if the president uh, had a, you know, a, an affair with a Playboy playmate. I don't care that he lied about it. I don't care that he made payoffs. Apparently, a lot of Americans don't care that that uh, the president of the United States uh, stood next to Vladimir Putin and sided with him over our intelligence agencies. So. You know, where are we where are we going is, uh, you know, are, are we are we continuing to sort of, you know, go around in the in, in the hamster wheel of, of this news cycle when the American voters have just basically made up their minds already on everything? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we make predictions about 
where these things are going at, at our own peril. Um, I've made predictions about Donald Trump and where he's going in the past, and I've been wrong uh, several times. I think, unfortunately, I wasn't wrong about the biggest one, which is what kind of a president he's, he's been mm-hmm. and what kind of a, a man he is. Um, Look, I don't know. There was another poll out this week that showed that 58% of Republicans believe that Vladimir Putin is a, is a U.S. ally. That's insane. I mean, that is a crazy, crazy position to take. Um, I think it's the position that Donald Trump has taken more on an aspirational basis uh, than a descriptive one. I don't think Donald Trump has spent a lot of time thinking about what uh, whether Vladimir Putin and Russia are truly an ally. And I know that his intelligence briefings and briefings from his top national security team have suggested to him precisely the opposite. But he's out there making the case that Vladimir Putin is an ally, or at least a potential ally. And you've got a huge chunk of the Republican Party that buys it. And a, a smaller subset that says they're not sure. It's, it was a much smaller group that said, no, Vladimir Putin is not an ally. So I think you know, it is yet another indication that Republicans have become or continue to be uh, the party of Donald Trump. I mean, they're, to a certain extent, you're seeing reflected in a lot of this public polling on issues uh, an indication that they're willing to take Donald Trump's lead where he goes, they go. So if he's skeptical of uh, free trade deals, they're skeptical of free trade deals. And a lot of these things that that hadn't really been uh, much of an issue like free trade, like Vladimir Putin, at least hadn't been in the forefront of Republican voter minds. Um, he's put it there and he's convinced them that he's yeah. on the right side of this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's no question about it. And, and and this is one that that by now we should have figured all this out, right? By now we figured out, you know, what 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 it, what is this cult of personality? What what is going on? I I wrote a piece uh, y- yesterday where I don't know what the right answer is because because I remember when I thought that the the conservative movement was sort of the party of ideas, and you know, and maybe at one point they were, but they're acting like, um, you know, they're they're certainly acting like. They're willing to take those ideas and uh, you know regard them as what the sort of vague suggestions or guidelines. Remember when Lionel Trilling said that conservatism wasn't wasn't really an intellectual movement; it was just irritable mental gestures. And apparently, he he might have he might have been onto something. Okay, before given the fact we're, we're we're talking, and you are in Madrid right now, so I, I have to ask you this. Okay, so you are the editor in chief of one of the premier conservative news magazines in the United States. What are you doing in Spain? You're not, you're not just visiting. <laughs> this is, you're not a, Stephen, you are not on vacation. You're Correct. like in Spain. Correct. No, I'm, 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 I'm definitely not on vacation as my wife and kids can attest. I, I helped out on some editorials this week, did, a, did quite a bit of, of work. No, we, my wife and I had a plan about 10 years ago that we wanted to move our family to Spain. And it was one of those things that started out as just sort of a wish. And, you know, we'd talk about it after a glass of wine and never really did anything with it. And then five years ago, we sort of got more serious about it and said, well, you know, I think this really would be good for the kids. I think it'd be good for us. Um, you know, I, I, we, we thought it would be good for the kids to learn another language, to see, to live in another culture, to see the United States from outside of the United States, uh, to go through something that would be a challenging experience for the kids. I mean, this is our kids don't have Spanish language ability. We've been coaching them up a little bit, but they're going to dive uh, dive in 
pretty quickly uh, to a, they're going to a school that'll be an, an English language school, but they take intensive Spanish. All of their classmates will be native Spanish speakers or virtually all of them. So this is going to be a challenging thing for the kids. And we thought that was good for them to sort of free them of, of their own comfort zone and learn a new language. And anyway, a couple of years ago, we got very serious about it and took a trip over here and explored cities and explored schools and, and decided that we were going to make a go of this. Um, that was before I had taken this job, I was a, a writer at the magazine at the time, and we were so serious about it that when um, I had discussions about taking this job, I said, look, I'd be eager to take the job, um, love the magazine, would love to to have that say and, and carry on Bill Crystal's vision and Fred Barnes and Richard Starr and, and the team there. But I'm committed to doing this. And one of the reasons that I personally wanted to do it was to send a message to my kids that as much as I work and, you know, I have basically two jobs that they come first and the family comes first. And, uh, even if that meant taking a, a year away and, so to not do that would have then, of course, sent them precisely the opposite message, would have said, ah, well, I had this work thing, so I can't do what we've promised you that we're going to do. So that's sort of the basic idea of, of what we're doing here. And uh, we've been here for two weeks, and it has been a crazy, <laughs> insane adventure already. Uh, and I'm sure it'll continue that way. Hey, this is a remarkable choice. You you told me about this over over dinner some, some time ago, and I... I I told you I just really admired that 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 the the uh, the life work balance decision, the commitment to the kids. But you, you are, you know, you're 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 one of us political journalistic wonks, and the news cycle has not stepped down. So just tell me what this is. I mean, a lot of people are going, "Gosh, that's that's a fantastic choice." But you know, this this is this is a considerable sacrifice on your part. I mean. I mean, it's wonderful you're doing this for the kids, but you have now stepped out of the in the, the, the the country for a year in a lot going on. So just tell me how, how you're working that out. I'm not really worried about it for, from my own perspective. That was certainly the the reaction I got to to several people who who said, "Well, gosh, aren't you you know you're not going to be on cable every day anymore? Are you you know are you worried that you're going to be forgotten or you're not going to be able to get speech or anything?" I'm not really worried about that. I mean. If we didn't have such a fantastic team at the at the magazine, and I'm not just saying that because we're on a weekly standard podcast, um, I would have had a lot more misgivings uh, about it. But you know, we uh, the, the, I don't I don't do as much on the day to day stuff as the the real key players there do, and and they're handling they're perfectly capable of, of doing this and doing it probably better than if I were there bugging them on all well, this, this stuff. Is the truth I mean right now you don't have to physically be someplace to do a lot of jobs that you, you had to go to an office there's no point I mean uh, you, uh, the magazine you can do it I mean I'm sitting here in Mequon Wisconsin you're in M M Madrid and we don't have to physically be someplace else but but you're not going to be the, the Fox thing was for, for you, that that's going to be the big professional shift, right? I mean, because you can right. do everything with the magazine. I, I get that. But the Fox thing's got to obviously be, uh, that's that's a shift. Yeah, and, and I am doing, I mean, literally before we jumped on this podcast call, I was in an hour-long editorial meeting with the magazine through Google Hangouts. So that's that stuff really is easy, and I'm, I'm keeping a hand in this. I do think it's healthy. It is healthy to take this step back. I mean, one of the, the great frustrations, um, and there aren't many, of doing what we do for a living or, you know, in this case, working at a magazine and also doing the Fox job is – 
I just don't have as much time to read books as I'd like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I'm working. Right. Sometimes yeah. I'm working 16, 18 hour days. You crack open Twitter or read the papers at six in the morning and you're still reading that stuff at midnight. And I'm reading books here and it's really fun. I remember <laughs> how much I love to read books. I, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm torn between being envious and being really, really guilty because, you know, it's funny that, you know, as somebody who my whole life, that's what I do. I read books. And and my wife and I were talking about this, you know, saying in this new cycle, we're not reading books anymore or, or not enough. I actually have to make the effort to do something that was at one point the focus of my entire life to yes. to, to read books, to, just to be able to take a deep breath. You, you know, it's when I when I stepped out from my daily radio show, one of my. My fantasies was okay. I, you know, won't be strapped to uh, to the mast, and you know, have to show up every single day. So I'll be able to go to you know visit my grandkids in France. You know, maybe spend six weeks there. You know, just sit back, read, think about all of that. And of course, the election took place. Donald Trump took place. And it's funny because I was thinking about you this last week because my my grandkids are French. I think I mentioned this before. They're visiting, you know, here and. Um, you know, we're, we're spending, I'm trying to spend as much time as I can, but I get caught up in the cycle. You know, you, you do the cable yeah. stuff, you do a variety of things. And I, maybe because I'm older than you, I, I do have the perspective of, you know, look, you don't have an infinite amount of time. Your kids are not going to be kids forever. Right. I, I mean, right. and, and it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that you hear over and over and over again, but when you experience it and realize, okay, that whole part of my life is over. Yeah. And if I missed it, I can't make it up again. I mean, that's a powerful thing, which is why I admire what Absolutely. you're doing well, look, so much. You're, you're, I mean, honestly, I mean, delving a little deeper and a little more uh, into personal motivations. I mean, I, I, I went to lunch when we were, my wife and I were figuring out whether we really were going to do this. I mean, there's a point at which you have to make the decision. You go and you get the visas, you go and you start looking at places, you, you know, like I said, you, you pick the schools, you pick the city. And as it happens, when we were wrestling, whether we were really going to do this thing that we had talked about doing for so long, I had lunch with a number of, uh, former colleagues from 20 years ago, great people. I hadn't seen most of them in 15 years. And one of them had been sort of a mentor to me. I don't always really liked her and admired her. And we just started talking about kids and we all had young kids and her kids were a little bit older. And in the middle of this lunch, she got extraordinarily emotional and just said, you have to treasure every single minute mm-hmm. because they're gone before you know it. And it just, I don't know, it was one of these things that really hit me. Mm-hmm. And it was funny before we jumped on the plane to, to come over here, I took my kids out uh, for a, a shake at Sonic and I had the, the three big kids. My kids are 13, 11, eight and one and a half. And I had the three big kids. You have been busy. And, in the car with me, yes, it's been <laughs> extraordinarily busy. The one and a half year old, I could tell stories about her from this past two weeks for hours. But before we left, we were, I was in the car with the big kids and we're getting a shake and we're talking about all this and we're talking about, I made them tell me the three things they were most looking forward to. In part, just because I was curious, but in part to, to get them to start thinking in a positive way about what they were about to experience. And, and then it came to be my turn. And I said... I am really looking forward to the opportunity of having dinner with you guys every single night. And I looked at 
the kids mm -hmm. and you know, you just, you don't realize what a big deal that is to them. And they didn't realize that they were going to, that we were going to have that. And it was exactly, you know, as a dad, it was exactly the kind of reaction that you want from your kids. Yeah. You're excited about this. But for me, it just sort of drove home like, okay, this is really important thing to do. And, um, I didn't have, I really didn't have any doubts about whether this was the right thing to do, but uh, if I had had any, that moment would have erased them all. Yeah, no, I, um, uh... You know, when you look back on your life, when you look back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, this is what you're going to remember. You're not going to remember um, whether you missed dinner because you were doing another hit on cable television for, you know, five or six minutes saying what you basically said, you know, over and over again. I'm talking about myself, not you. But I mean, you know, the, the things that seem really, really important at the time. And, and again, this almost sounds like a cliche until you've lived it. Right. I mean, be, be, because, you know, and I think I, think I told you that uh, I have a very, very vivid memory of uh, when my, my younger son was in the state, uh, Wisconsin State uh, Tennis Tournament. And, and you know, uh, you know we've been going to games or, you know, for years and years and years, Little League and soccer. And then they were on the tennis team and everything. And I remember having one of those rare moments of, you know, being present in the moment <laughs> and thinking he's two points away from this part of our lives being completely over. It was, you know, and, and sure enough, there were two points, the game, the match was over, it was done. And it's like, wow, that whole, you know, that whole life that you had lived, um, is gone. And of course, then the kids go off to college, they get married and all of that stuff. And so, you know, the, I had heard the same things we were told, you know, you have to, you have to be there. You have to, you know, you know, cherish every, every moment, but, um, it's easy to lose that perspective. And Stephen, I got to tell you how much, uh, how much I respect the fact that, that you not only get it, but that you've made a really rather dramatic life choice. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you just, just, I mean, listening to you relate that, I would say just in the first two weeks here, we've just, you know, it's just one thing after another. We're spending huge chunks of the day. I get up pretty early so that I can get ahead and, and work on magazine stuff um, for several hours before most everybody else is awake. We have fallen into this Spanish lifestyle already. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> we eat dinner at 10. Mm -hmm. uh, last night, my wife and I stepped out of our uh, apartment to go get a bite to eat down the street at 11.08 p.m., that was when we had dinner. So yeah, we, that's, we, that's, we that's the peak time in Spain though, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. That's exactly <laughs> when they go eat dinner. But it, uh, so I work like crazy in the morning, usually when everybody else is still sleeping, cause everybody's sleeping till 10, uh, 11 o'clock. Um, but then, you know, I, I get to spend so much time with them and, and just in these first couple of the crazy things that, that we've done, we, 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 I didn't, we took the kids out to dinner and ordered a bunch of food. And the benefit for me is that I have rusty, you know, 30 year old Spanish. It's not very good, but I can read it. Okay. So I can read the menus and none of them can. So I ordered, um, pork cheeks at this restaurant around the corner Mm -hmm. And they were extraordinary. And the guy put them on the, the guy was speaking to me in Spanish and he put them on the table and the kids dove in and devoured them. And we got a separate second helping and they were just as good. And at the end I said, well, do you all know what you've just eaten? <laughs> you know, they were horrified. I told them pork cheeks, dad, why didn't you tell us? That's crazy. But 
they want to go back to the restaurant and have pork cheeks again. So, and you know, it's sort of minor victory, right? You've expanded their horizons. <laughs> now, at, at, at the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, with, with my, my two grandkids, uh, you know, here in, here in Wisconsin for the visit, the highlight of, our, highlight of our week was we went to the Washington County Fair where we, they actually have duck races, goat races, yeah. And pig races. So pig, you can actually watch them. You can actually watch them race and then go and have a pork sandwich. I mean, this is why I stay in Wisconsin, <laughs> that we can do, we can do this. And of course, of all the things that we're going to do, they're going to remember the duck and the, and the, and the pig races more than anything else, because these are the, because you, you don't do that. They don't have that in yeah, France. Exactly. I'm just telling you. <laughs> they don't. And the goats had tutus. So go figure. I, 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 I do not know. Well, Steve, uh, thanks so much for, uh, for 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 joining me. And let's uh, obviously we're going to keep in touch. And I, I think that people are going to find this uh, sec- second half of our conversation far more interesting than than the other because you can pretty much get the the hey Michael Michael Cohen and uh, the latest Trump <laughs> stuff. You can pretty much get that. There's a, not a shortage of of material on all of that. But no, uh, and yeah. it's it's I mean it's enjoyable to talk about the, the other stuff too. Uh, well, it also uh, much more makes enjoyable it, than Michael Cohen. <laughs> well, also because I mean, this is a struggle that I think we all have is like what actually matters, you know, right. that you you go through and 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 I, you know, I, I you were mentioning reading books and I've gone back and started, you know, reading, you know, some American history books to get some perspective. And you do realize that a lot of things that people think are incredibly important in the moment may not be. Now, some things, of course, are, but. But then there's also the decision we all have to make, what really matters? You know, right. what, what really matters? And uh, I remember the, the one book that probably just stuck with me the longest was uh, Victor Frankl's The Meaning of Life, where he, he asks, uh, suggests that, that what people do is, you know, imagine you're lying on your deathbed and you're 93 years old and you're looking back um, on the decisions you made uh, that determined what the meaning of your life was and said, okay, now imagine you are at this age right now that you are, you know, what, what decision did you make? then that contributed to it and then yes. I've, I've sort of been you know repeating this but you know the decision when you're lying in your deathbed you're not going to say gosh i wish i had done more cable tv hits yeah that is not what you're going to say yeah no i think that's right look and we both i mean so people are, are clear it, it's a privilege to be able to participate yeah. in those debates i love doing special reports i do too yeah particularly with with brett bear it's it's fun to be a part of that i love it i enjoy it i get a rise out of it i love having the arguments um but yeah at the end of the day i mean I've, i'll be grateful for those things and the opportunities that they afforded but mostly because they gave me an opportunity to do the kinds of things that i'm doing right now with with my family so well Stephen hayes um, enjoy, enjoy it, and we will talk in the next uh, in the next few days. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday, and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>